0: We've all seen the footage, election conspiracists pushing through barriers, hitting police officers, and storming the Capitol. It's been 316 days since that event, and the explanations and excuses for it have grown too numerous to count. Welcome to The Lost Debate, a show for political eclectics. My name is Ravi Gupta. And I'm Corey Bradford. And Corey, this is our last show before we break for Thanksgiving. I'm going to head on a plane tomorrow to Costa Rica to surf like any man of the people. What about you? What are you doing?
1: Cool. I'm going to head back home to Alabama to see my uh, wife and kid and just... um have some political discussions around the dinner table, probably, <laughs> like most people will unfortunately be doing this next week. Well, what discussions do we have today for the show? Uh, we got some great discussions. We're going to really dive deep into, I think, something that everybody will be discussing at Thanksgiving, and that's January 6th. Uh, it was this huge event at the Capitol, and there's all sorts of back and forth about what it really was. Obviously, there's a lot of political you know, disputes between what it really was, between the left and the right, and you know, we, we're going to talk a little bit about that, go into some really you know, deep dives, on that particular subject. And one thing that everybody's talking about is this House vote to censure Paul Gosser, the congressman from Arizona who shared this really terrible, poorly made uh, video depicting him killing Congresswoman AOC. And now he has been officially punished for it in the House of Representatives. Uh, Ravi, I mean, what's going on with the GOP House?
0: Yeah, I I confess that I had to watch the video multiple times to see the instance where he's killing AOC. It yeah, it's moves so fast. It's yeah. anime video. I doubt he made it. It's probably his staff. Yeah. I doubt he's watching anime. <laughs> and do I think that people are going to watch this video and that's going to motivate them to kill AOC? Probably not. But I don't know what motivates people to kill anybody, right? And I think we should be really careful about this kind of stuff because the Capitol Police has said that there are more threats to members of Congress today than there have ever been before. And so for for this, it's Everybody should be cautious. They should be courteous to their colleagues, and I think we should overcorrect in moments like this and say, "All right, anything that could even be close to inciting violence against colleagues in any workplace, by the way, yeah. but especially in the House, we should we should just pull that and apologize." And it's confusing to me as to why that's not what he did. Yeah, I know one thing
1: here on this show that we don't like to get into is like the both sidesism. But I know there will be a lot of people on the right that says, well, what about Kathy Griffin when she, you know, had that real explicit photo of her, I think, trying to like behead Trump or something like that. And, right. You know, what about things like that? But it's like Kathy Griffin's not a House representative. She's also
0: wrong. Yeah, like, so of course. Yes. She so is wrong. Why is it so hard to say it's wrong and she should apologize? Yeah. And I think
1: yeah. uh, I would believe that a lot of people on the left said she was wrong. Yeah. That they don't promote that kind of violence. And I don't think I've seen anybody from the Democrat side who's a sitting politician, whether on the state level, federal level, that actually called for act of violence against another member of Congress. I just haven't seen it. I mean, if somebody could show me examples of it. And if they
0: exist, they're wrong. That's the the point. If if they exist, they're wrong. And it should just be a quick apology and move on. And he knows he was wrong. You want to know why he knows he was wrong? Because he pulled the video down now twice and reposted it. He pulled it down twice. Yes. Uh, And so for me, he knows it's wrong. Just what I would ask your people at home is just to Forget his Congress for a second and just think of it as any workplace. Like yeah. Dunder Mifflin or something and people are making anime videos killing each other uh, of themselves killing their coworkers. Yeah. It's absurd, yeah. right? And I know this is Congress where people debate issues and mm-hmm. like it's a, it's mm-hmm. a little bit more adversarial, mm-hmm. but keep it about the issues, right? Like this is just anybody in any normal facet of American life would look at this and say it's nuts. Yeah. Uh and this is a guy who Uh, has like you might not know him like people at home are it's not a household name no this is a guy if you remember who six of his siblings Mm -hmm. did a campaign ad saying don't vote for my brother wow six six of his siblings he's also a revisionist when it comes to both charlottesville and january 6th Mm -hmm. so he has a lot of dangerous ideas Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. he's not even popular within his own family Mm -hmm. all this to say is this is a nutty guy Mm -hmm. and for those people who are so fixated on AOC, who they think is in the fringe, and this is a debate mm-hmm. I have with my brother, who's a, a, a Republican. Mm-hmm. A lot is there's a certain kind of fringe on the right, mm-hmm. and we'll get to this later in this episode. That is of a whole different variety, for sure. Yeah, it's a whole different beast. Let's take a quick look at what AOC's
1: response was to this whole, you know, mess.
2: What is so hard about saying that this is wrong? This is not about me. This is not about Representative Gosar, but this is about what we are willing to accept.
1: I mean, I disagree with ALC on a lot of issues. She's kind of far to the left of the spectrum for me, a little too far left of the spectrum for me. But I 100 percent agree with her here. Right. I mean, what is so hard about members of the GOP actively saying it's wrong to call for violence against people who politically are different from us yeah
0: or like and they'll say well we weren't calling for violence this video just say look this was a at best attacky video mm-hmm, that mm. was uh, that was a mistake mm-hmm. right that you apologize for things like that and at worst it was inciting violence and even if you don't think that 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 was his intention of the people making the video right i can't get in their heads mm-hmm. it's just a, a stupid video just say look it was dumb mm-hmm. i didn't mean to to cause violence and I'm taking it down, and I'm going to keep it down, right? Mm-hmm. Which we he, he said <laughs> he, at some point he, he took it down, to do. and then he put it back up. Yeah. So it's totally disingenuous. There's a sense that you're you're not a real man, you're not a you know strong person. If mm-hmm. you apologize, that's the sort of the ethics or the politics of the day. And it's just I agree, just take it down and move on like yeah. it's that simple
1: yeah Gossa refuses to apologize said this was a gross mischaracterization of the video and he said this video was a symbolic portrayal of the fight over immigration policy this isn't 1801 anymore we don't go to duels with political people that we disagree with and so right. i think like you said he just needs to get over it apologize move on and to the gop stop threatening violence against people Who are different from you politically speaking? Because it just doesn't help your cause any, right? Especially when they're they're going against like you know the protesters in twenty twenty things like that. It just doesn't help your cause when you're actively calling. for And anybody
0: who's new to this show, we spend so much time calling out threats to violence on the progressive side. Mm -hmm. So this is not just a thing specifically the GOP. I think this particular variety of it seems Mm -hmm. to be a particular right wing flavor of Mm -hmm. violence, which we'll we'll definitely get to. Yeah. So you know. So spare, spare us the whataboutism here. Mm-hmm, like this mm-hmm. is just wrong and apologize for it and move
1: on. Absolutely. So also in the news, another very interesting member of Congress, Kirsten Sinema, who seems to just be on all of our minds these days. She did this interview uh, with Politico uh, magazine, kind of explaining her side of things because she's a really
0: misunderstood individual in the Senate, correct? I think so. I know you and I have talked offline mm-hmm. about this, but if you look into her background, she's not who a lot of people think she is, or mm-hmm. at least was. She was an activist, mm-hmm. anti-Iraq protester, mm-hmm. affiliated with the Green Party, who used to shun political donations earlier in her career. Mm-hmm. She grew up, I think, in very rough circumstances. Mm-hmm. It's, there's. It's it's unclear whether this is true or not. It hasn't been verified, but she, she says that she grew up in an abandoned gas station. Oh, wow. She was a Mormon who left the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's got a super eclectic background. Sure. And somewhere along the way she went from being a sort of nadirite, left-wing green party candidate to what feels like a moderate today yeah. centrist but every time she the rare moments like this when she does an interview mm-hmm. it she sounds she just sounds kind of different like she's yeah. marching to the beat of her own drummer that's my take on her
1: one of the interesting things that I saw in this interview was they asked her early on, like, you know, there have been people in the Arizona GOP saying, hey, why don't you just join our side already? Yeah. It seems
0: like- And the US Senate, kinda, even Senator yeah, Thune said, exactly. admitted on record saying yeah. he's trying to recruit her into the GOP. And she said, no, why would I do that? So she-
1: Seems to be a proud Democrat. But I think she's also just saying, like, you know, why can't we disagree with each other without saying we're on the other side? Like, why can't we have these debates about policy without saying, oh, you're holding up progress? Maybe she has some legitimate concerns about Build Back Better and these different things that she's been kind of fighting against a little bit.
0: Yeah, critics of her will say, well, you're an elected official, you're a public figure, and it's incumbent upon you to be transparent Mm -hmm, and say, all right, here's what your concerns are, and here's why you're concerned about it. One thing I learned in this article, though, is that although she's not been very public about her concerns, Mm -hmm. some of her colleagues in the Senate had uh, positive things to say about her and say she's transparent behind the scenes. Like Elizabeth Warren, for instance, went on record in this article. I was very surprised by that. But there was one thing she said in this article, and I'm going to quote this because I found it really interesting, Mm -hmm. is she calls out something that we called out uh, a week or two ago in relation to the infrastructure bill and the, and the Democrats who voted against the infrastructure bill. And this is what cinema had to say. She mm-hmm. said, you're either honest or you're not honest. So just tell the truth and be honest and deliver what that which you can deliver. There's this growing trend of people in both political parties who promise things that cannot be delivered in order to get the short-term political gain and I believe that it damages the long-term health of our democracy. Mm. So basically what she's saying is we're running on this expansive record. This is my critique of Bernie for example is yeah. he he talks about a whole bunch of things and mm. then he's not even for getting rid of the filibuster. So I'm like you're going to you're going to pa- you're going to find 60 votes <laughs> to basically you know, have Medicare for all, for example, yeah. like I don't get it. It's not going to happen. Yeah. It's and so I'm, I'm with her on this particular piece. Here. Yeah.
1: I mean, that quote in general just makes me think differently of her because there has been this mainstream media narrative on her that she is just an obstructionist, that she's just a contrarian for contrarian sake, and that she's just holding up progress. But maybe she has some real convictions about why she's doing what she's doing and doesn't feel like she has to explain that to the media because it's sort of kind of a personal conviction. I will say there's like this, like, why are people so obsessed with the way
0: she's dressed? Well, she talked about that.
1: Whenever I look at politicians, especially like, you know, male politicians are always in these like nice suits and they're tailored with the nice ties and, yep. you know, you know, the, uh, a lot of female politicians feel like they have to dress in a super conservative way, but she comes in there with like, you know, like sweaters on and stuff. Like she
0: comes in there looking so crazy and I'm just like, I like that. But one thing that's really important is that she's lumped together with Manchin all the time yeah, and yeah. I think they're so different. I think so, they're very different. You know, Manchin comes from West Virginia yeah. where... It kind of has to be like Yeah, that, there's this sports you know? term, wins over replacement. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. there's, you know, you could say votes over replacement. Manchin mm-hmm. is the most valuable Democrat in the sense that if yes. there is no Joe Manchin, there is no you Democratic senator from West Virginia, yeah. whereas she's different. Arizona's a swing state. Mm-hmm. She didn't perform demonstrably better than Kelly did. And yeah. she was actually in an easier environment to win in 2018. Mm-hmm. 2018 so yeah. Democrats, I think, feel much more confident in challenging her. There's all these rumors of a primary against her. Mm -hmm. And just from a political perspective, I find this super fascinating because she has really relatively low approval ratings for a Democrat within her own party, Mm -hmm. but has 40% approval in the most recent poll I saw within Republicans. And Republicans went on record in this article saying, and Cornyn said Mm -hmm. this, the the Republican senator, that they may not even feel the challenger to her. So, yeah. so yeah. if she's gonna lose, it's gonna be to a Democratic Democrat. primary.
1: And it's interesting because Arizona is a politically eclectic state. I mean, a lot of Republicans voted for Kelly just because they were so pissed about what Trump said about McCain, you know, and so and because Kelly was a national hero being an astronaut and all. So maybe she has a pretty good, you know, chance of getting reelected there if, if she have, can
0: get through the primary. If she
1: can get through the primary. And it depends yeah. on who they run against her, right? Right. But uh that'll be very interesting. Well, speaking of strong women, let's talk about this possibility. That women are going to be drafted into the military. This is really super interesting. So there was this bill that just got passed in the House, correct? Yep, the National Defense Authorization Act.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and basically it's like saying that women are now going to have to be required to sign up for selective services.
0: Yeah, so the draft essentially, which yeah. hasn't really been had meaningful in anybody's life yeah. since the seventies, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it it was ruled in the eighties that you uh, that women. Uh, could not register for the mm-hmm. draft because they couldn't, they weren't eligible for all combat roles. Yeah. But, you know, a couple of years ago, we came full circle and women mm-hmm. are eligible for all combat roles now. Mm-hmm. And so this is a bipartisan coalition that supports this mm-hmm. and including like, you know, Representative Waltz for Florida, for example. Yep. who made the statement that in the event of the kind of emergency that's hard to conceive of, but this Mm -hmm. is why we have a draft and the kind of emergency that would require us to call upon people to Mm -hmm. be drafted, we need all kinds of people. Absolutely. And so I'm with him on that. And if you've ever spent any time in Israel, for example, Mm -hmm. they have compulsory service for women. Mm -hmm. Uh, It seems to be a character building exercise and, and really central to their national identity. And I think this is just an extension of equality in general in this country. And I'm, I was surprised to see anybody against this, but there are people against this, Corey.
1: I think the reason why people are against this, well, I know the reason why people are against this is because of this idea that, oh, you're going to be taking mothers out of the home. Mm-hmm. You're going to be taking mothers away from their children. and But also, there's this notion that if you get drafted, like you said, we haven't had a draft in over 50 years, but if you get drafted, you automatically like- Are going to go to the battlefield and that's not necessarily the case i mean not everybody would go into infantry a lot of people would just go into support roles for the military and that's something that again a lot of women are already serving in yeah and so i think this is a step towards equality uh but there are some people mostly of the republican persuasion who are saying that this is a terrible idea
0: yeah and this is josh holly my former law school classmate he said i think it's crazy and i think it's really part of the democrats ongoing social social agenda so my bill would simply restore the status quo. So oh, of course Holly and the status quo. <laughs> I like the way you say Holly. Howley. Howley, Holly. Uh, however you pronounce it. Yeah. His name. So he so he's basically saying this is the liberals again doing mm-hmm, their thing. And mm-hmm. there's like some polling that suggests that the public isn't on board for this. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure how much any of this is really gonna matter, but it's just like another thing uh, where I think certain Republicans, and once again, there's bipartisan support for this bill, so that he's not, he doesn't represent the majority of Republicans here, but there just seems to be this sense that you know, women are so fragile that we can't expect them to go into the military. Meanwhile, I seem to see all these ads on Mm -hmm. TV with gun-toting, Lauren Mm Bobart-style Republicans Mm -hmm. shooting things in Mm -hmm. fields, like, you know, the lieutenant governor of Virginia, for example. Yeah, You know, this was a a tweet uh, from back in April Mm -hmm. where she says it's a beautiful day at the range and is just, you know, Semper Fi and is shooting shit. So I, I think women can handle this. I think There's a lot of Republican messaging in their campaigns that say women can handle this. And this is where I'm just like, all right, let's just move on. This shouldn't be a big issue. Yeah, I think everybody
1: should have to serve their country in some capacity. And if this is the road to that, then I'm totally for it. So um, we're going to move on. We've got some great content today. We're going to be talking about January 6th. We'll have more on that coming up.
0: What? What? What's actually happening? What's actually happening? I try to go out of my way to understand the views of others. And I actually host a podcast that explicitly is devoted to that purpose. And on that show, I've interviewed conservative governors, operatives, and even my own Trump supporting family members, my brother. And I've made it my purpose to find common ground with people. That's why we even started the Lost Debate. But the storming of the Capitol on January 6th. And the attempt to rewrite the history of that day has broken something inside of me. It's made it impossible for me to find common ground with anyone who excuses the insurrection or the lies that gave birth to it. And on that issue, I draw a line in the sand. A bedrock principle in my life is personal responsibility. I was taught from a young age to take responsibility for my actions. That means if I fuck something up, I own it and do my best to do better. And as a school principal, I built that value into the foundation of our entire approach to teaching children. And conservatives used to be the party of that ethic. As Reagan once said, quote, we must reject the idea that every time a law is broken, society is guilty rather than a lawbreaker. It is time to restore the American precept that each individual is accountable for his actions. I often wonder what Reagan would say about his political progeny. We've all seen the footage. Election conspiracists pushing through barriers, breaking windows, hitting police officers, and storming the Capitol. It's been 316 days since that event, and the explanations and excuses for it have grown too numerous to count. The narrative has changed so much that I wonder at this point whether apologists for that day even remember the various explanations that they've given. But let's look at those explanations anyway. Let's start with Biden's victory and Trump's persistent claims of election fraud. Tucker Carlson even acknowledged that Sidney Powell, Trump's former lawyer, provided no legitimate evidence of fraud.
2: So that's a long way of saying we took Sidney Powell seriously. We had no intention of fighting with her. We've always respected her work. We simply wanted to see the details. How could you not want to see them? So we invited Sidney Powell on the show. We would have given her the whole hour. We would have given her the entire week, actually, and listened quietly the whole time at rapt attention. That's a big story. But she never sent us any evidence, despite a lot of requests, polite requests, not a page. When we kept pressing, she got angry and told us to stop contacting her. When we checked with others around the Trump campaign, people in positions of authority, they told us Powell has
0: never given them any evidence either. And Trump's own attorney general, William Barr, claimed there was no evidence of widespread voter fraud. Mitch McConnell even acknowledged Biden's victory on the Senate floor. Many of America's longstanding norms were broken after Biden's election, but it seemed for a second that our tradition of a peaceful transfer of power would hold up. Trump's legal team had lodged 62 lawsuits and all were unsuccessful except for one insignificant case. Trump's efforts even prompted scorn from his own judicial appointees. Judge Stephanus Bevis, a Trump appointee, threw out one of Trump's biggest election lawsuits in Pennsylvania, arguing, quote, calling an election unfair does not make it so. And called out Trump saying that he failed to offer neither specific allegations nor proof of fraud. But Trump refused to give up, consistently tweeting to the masses that the election was stolen and that fraud was rampant. And he was sowing distrust in our democratic process. Some of his most loyal supporters backed him up like Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri.
2: This is my opportunity to stand up and say something, to stand up and point out that there were irregularities in this election, that there was fraud. Nobody disputes that, by the way.
0: And at this point, it was clear that animosity about the election results were starting to boil over. On December 19th, Trump tweeted that big protests were planned in D.C. on January 6th and that his supporters should, quote, be there, will be wild, exclamation point. And when the rally was finally underway, Trump repeated baseless voter fraud claims before encouraging supporters to fight like hell and march to the Capitol. And not long after that, violence broke out at the Capitol. And the immediate condemnation of these actions were ubiquitous. Party leaders from both sides of the aisle denounced violence and destruction. Even those who challenged the certification of Biden's victory only a few hours prior were vexed by what had taken place at the Capitol.
1: The violence, the lawlessness, and siege of the halls of Congress are abhorrent and stand as a direct attack on the very institution my my objection was intended to protect, the sanctity of the American democratic process. Above all others in this body need to say this, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are lawfully elected and will become the president and the vice president of the United States.
2: President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events of the day. No question about it. The people who stormed this building believed they were acting on the wishes and instructions of their president.
0: In the day after the insurrection, Ted Cruz, one of Trump's most ardent supporters, called on Americans to, quote, come together and put this anger and division behind us.
2: We saw a terrorist attack on the United States Capitol. It was despicable. It was an assault on, on the citadel of democracy. And and every one of those violent criminals who attacked the Capitol, they should be fully prosecuted.
0: I mention these reactions because even they couldn't ignore the obvious, that the events of January 6 were inexcusable. Trump himself even said that he was, quote, outraged by the violence and lawlessness.
2: The demonstrators who infiltrated the Capitol have defiled the seat of American democracy. To those who engaged in the acts of violence and destruction, You do not represent our country, and to those who broke the law, you will pay. We have just been through an
0: intense election, and emotions are high. For a moment in time, it seemed like responsibility was being taken. No one could deny the obvious, that what had taken place, what happened, was wrong, and that those had committed those acts, those that incited violence, must be held accountable. But as time has passed, the very same people that condemned January 6th from Trump to conservative leaders to right-wing media have not only jettisoned any responsibility, but they've been trying out a series of ever-shifting, contradictory stories about what happened. Early on, sympathizers of the insurrection said it was an Antifa plot. Trump peddled the theory almost immediately, and those in the right-wing media who previously called the election for Biden jumped into the fray. Now, there were likely not all Trump supporters, and there are some reports that Antifa sympathizers may have been sprinkled throughout the crowd. We'll have more on that later. Then we were told that those who breached the Capitol weren't rioters at all, but were in fact peaceful and orderly.
2: There was no insurrection, and to call it an insurrection, in my opinion, is a bold-faced lie. Watching the TV footage of those who entered the Capitol and walked through Statuary Hall showed people in an orderly fashion staying between the stanchions and ropes, taking videos and pictures. You know, if you didn't know the TV footage was a video from January the 6th, you would actually think it was a normal tourist
0: visit. At the same time, we were told the riots were justified.
1: Every single day and every single night in American cities all across our country. You see, that was an attack on innocent American people, whereas January 6th was just a riot
0: at the Capitol. So either they were peaceful or justified, but they couldn't be both, right? Now, as if the narrative couldn't get any more confusing, We're now told that it was a plot by the FBI. But strangely, some of the key people who participated on January
2: 6th have not been charged. Look at the documents. The government calls those people unindicted co-conspirators. What does that mean? Well, it means that in potentially every single case, they were FBI operatives
0: really, in
2: the Capitol
0: on January 6th. And it's worth noting that Tucker Carlson could easily research what it means to be an unindicted co-conspirator, and that the term is not used to describe undercover FBI operatives, but is usually used to describe people the government either has secured cooperation from, which if you've watched any mob movie, you know it's routine. It could also be someone the government hasn't yet received enough information to charge, or someone the government hasn't identified yet. You can ask any prosecutor or federal law enforcement agent, and they will tell you the same thing. The forces peddling those lies don't care about consistency. All the misinformation has worked to discredit Biden's victory and minimize the significance of January 6th. A recent CNN poll found that 78% of Republican voters believe Biden was not legitimately elected. It's become a near requirement for candidates running for office around the country to either wholeheartedly endorse the lie or to flirt with it. You truly believe that the election was stolen? Uh, I believe that there was massive fraud in this election. So when it's all said and done, done, when the the work is is complete by removing the fraud, Donald Donald Trump Trump won.
2: There's no question, and it's been widely reported, that there was widespread fraud
0: and irregularities across this country. That's why, as critical as I am of progressives on this show, and although I am a political eclectic with deep frustrations with elements of the left, I reject this both-sidesism. That's what separates us, the show and this company, from many of the critics of the left on these platforms. Because I believe that the twin lies and the dangers about the supposedly fraudulent 2020 November election and the January 6th insurrection continue to be a danger to the core of our democracy that supersede all issues. We can't come to the table to work out disagreements over tax policy, the size of government, CRT, abortion, or anything if we don't have a democracy. You Can't build a great house on a bad foundation. So I ask everyone to remember what Reagan said about responsibility every individual is accountable for their actions. Compare that sentiment to the January 6th apologists and revisionists, the false equivalencies, the deflections, the trolling, the obsessions with the inconsistencies of their opponents. What would Reagan think of them now? I bet he'd be as alarmed and as ashamed of those people as I am.
1: Fox News host and far-right media personality Tucker Carlson recently produced a documentary called The Patriot Purge. This three-part film combines news footage, first-person interviews, and anecdotal evidence that alleges that the breach on the U.S. Capitol on January 6th was just a peaceful rally that got hijacked by government operatives in order to frame Trump supporters as domestic terrorists. Sounds like a crock of horse shit if you ask me, but let's get real. Our government has tried some shady shit in the past to push certain agendas. So, against my better judgment, I decided to watch Tucker's doc to see just how he manages to twist an event we all saw with our own eyes into a deep state conspiracy. This is my review of Patriot Purge. I'm so sorry. Patriot Purge begins with the imagery of the September 11th terrorist attacks and the march to the war on terror
2: the media and the national security state used exaggerated threats and outright deception. Contacts between Al-Qaeda and Saddam Hussein's regime, there are others. To associate certain ideas with certain events. 9-11 is Saddam Hussein's weapons of mass destruction.
1: I actually agree with Tucker on one of his main points here. The U.S. government and the media did in fact lie and mislead us about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq in order to spark war. But that's been a left-wing talking point for almost 20 years. Where was Tucker back in 2003? Oh, wait. Tucky was on CNN's Crossfire, beating the drums of war and pushing all the right-wing talking points that got us into Iraq. But flash forward to today, Tucker is bringing up this misinformation around 9-11 to imply that instead of targeting foreign Muslim extremists, the new war on terror is against right-wing patriots. Now, comparing Trump supporters to al-Qaeda and sympathizing with Saddam Hussein is a little weird, but that's exactly what Tucker is doing here. Tucker also highlights how left-wing media often unfairly equates the harm caused on January 6th to 9-11. In the years after 9-11, I would like to see
2: January 6th has burned into the American mind as firmly as 9-11. No
1: external terrorists ever did this to us. We've never worried like this, even after 9-11. January 6th was worse than 9-11. Now, I agree, That's a total false equivalence. Tucker also makes the point that there's been a lot of mainstream media bias over the severity of January 6th. One example is the death of Officer Brian Sicknick, a Capitol Police officer who died a day after the January 6th riot. Initially, cable networks reported that the rioters beat him to death with a fire extinguisher.
2: A rioter hit Officer
0: Sicknick in the head with a fire extinguisher.
1: Hit in the head with a fire extinguisher. Lunge with a fire extinguisher.
2: There's just one problem with this story. It never happened.
1: But we come to find out he actually died as a result of two strokes. Granted, these strokes could have been brought on by fighting off a fucking mob for hours on January 6th, but it's true that they didn't beat him to death. So Tucker highlights some real media misinformation on the reporting of January 6th. But instead of stopping there, he launches into a conspiracy-laced rabbit hole that even makes Behold a Pale Horse look reasonable. So let's debunk some of the most outrageous claims. Bullshit claim number one. These January 6th protesters had a legitimate claim to protest. Okay, no. This was a stop the steal rally for an election that wasn't stolen. Donald Trump lost the 2020 election. And this is a fact that has been confirmed by your very own network, Tucky. Fox News decision desk can now project that former Vice President Joe Biden will be elected the 46th President of the United States. Tucker also completely glosses over the fact that Trump himself was the main instigator of the January 6th riot. Bullshit claim number two that numerous January 6th protesters are being held in Guantanamo Bay-like conditions and being deprived of constitutional rights.
2: America is not a place where you hold people for months in solitary without charges. This is what Guantanamo was set up for, for Al Qaeda terrorists who were not US
1: citizens. In fact, only 37 of the 650 Jan 6 protesters arrested are currently being held in a DC jail. Granted, the jail they're being held in is pretty shitty, But that's because it's a quintessential American jail. I'm so glad Tucker is all of a sudden passionate about prison reform. Maybe his next documentary should be about the half a million people who are currently incarcerated because they can't afford bail or were denied it. These Jan Sixers have lawyers, crowd funds to help pay for those lawyers and due process. And there's no evidence that any of them are being waterboarded in order to find the location of Nancy Pelosi's laptop. Bullshit claim number three. None of the true conservatives at Jan 6 were really white supremacists. January 6 was just,
2: you know, mom and dad who were mad about what they saw to be an election that they thought was unfair, rigged, fortified, stolen. It doesn't matter what you say it is. They were just angry and a lot of them just got caught up in the front lines of chaos.
1: Tucker describes them as middle-aged Trump supporters who just got caught up in the moment. Interesting. So what do you make of Scott Fairlam? a former MMA fighter who was recently sentenced to 41 months in jail for assaulting a police officer during the Jan 6 riot. Months earlier, Fairlam messaged Congresswoman Cori Bush saying, quote, I wish someone would put a knee on your neck for spreading lies. Hashtag white lives matter. Was he just caught up in the moment then, too? Tucker goes on to completely dismiss the threat of white supremacy in America. While the truth is, white supremacy based terrorism in this country is higher than it's ever been in my lifetime from dylan roof who in 2015 killed nine black church goers in south carolina including a sitting state senator to patrick wood Carusis, who in 2019 killed 23 people mostly latinos at a walmart in el paso Carousis cited the replacement theory the idea that white people are being replaced by non-whites as a motivation for his attack and tucker actively pushes replacement theory on his show oh, i know that the left and all
2: the little gatekeepers on Twitter become literally hysterical if you use the term replacement, if you suggest that the Democratic Party is trying to replace the current electorate, the voters now casting ballots mm. with new people, more obedient voters from the third
1: world but they become hysterical because that's that's what's happening, actually. Let's just say it, that's mm. true. He is literally responsible for spreading the type of racist propaganda that leads to sectarian violence in America and has the fucking nerve to try and convince us that white supremacy terrorism isn't real? That it's all a hoax perpetrated by a mostly white US government? Are you fucking kidding us? This leads us to Tucker's titular bullshit claim, the patriot purge in question. Tucker theorizes that The FBI, following orders from a mysterious permanent government class, actually planned the events of January 6th in order to round up what he calls legacy Americans and purge them from our military and society. First of all, legacy Americans? Like, what is that? Like, my family has been in this country against their will since the 18th century. So I'm a legacy American, too. Right, Tucky? There is no evidence to support this outrageous patriot purge theory. Only 5% of the 650 Jan. 6ers who were arrested are even still in jail. The Department of Justice incarcerated only those deemed dangerous, like the ones affiliated with far-right groups. And as for a military purge, according to the Washington Post, six active members were prosecuted for attending January 6th, and only one of them was actually discharged from service. That one was Army Sergeant Timothy Hale Cusinelli, who has been known to rock a Hitler stash and made violent anti-Semitic threats to his friends. Look, I know not every Jan Sixer is a white supremacist. They're not all terrorists. But if they were motivated to protest that day, then they all have one thing in common. They were motivated by a lie. There's no question that the Capitol rally on January 6th was an attempt to overthrow the 2020 election. So why are Fox News and Tucker Carlson trying to flip the script? Why is the network that spent over a decade pushing the lies that got us into Iraq now pretending that they disagree with that war and using it to frame this ridiculous narrative about the FBI orchestrating Jan 6? It's simple. After the election, Fox slumped in ratings and lost viewers to more far-right sources like Newsmax and OAN. So now... Fox has to move even further to the right in order to compete, and that means they have to peddle inexplicable conspiracy theories to cater to a radicalized base that's growing more and more delusional by the day. In fact, Fox News saw a bump in ratings this past June when Tucker first began laying the foundation for his Patriot Purge theory. Ultimately, with this documentary, Tucker has thrown out any last vestige of legitimacy, and he's playing with a very dangerous message that Americans should not trust our electoral process or the peaceful transfer of power. And that's literally what democracy is. That's what makes America, America. And that's the legacy that's actually worth defending.
0: So Corey, I think it was really important that we did what we just did, which is revisit January 6th, not because we want to keep revisiting it, because there's a certain segment of society who not only can't seem to to get over it mm-hmm. I want to tell a completely false history about it and this is personal
1: yeah absolutely absolutely and it's definitely something that people are going to be talking about for you know a long time now and I'm glad that we took a good you know look at it a very in-depth look at it and I hope people got something from our discussion on it today
0: Yeah. And if people have ideas of other parts of January 6th to cover, or if there are other myths like this that you're dealing with out there, we'd be happy to dive into them.
1: Absolutely. Well, we want to thank everybody for watching us. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Everybody have a great Thanksgiving. And also, if you listen to our podcast, make sure to go over there and drop us uh, a little rating, you know, give us some five stars, but only if you're going to give us five stars. Otherwise, don't, don't even rate us. But we'll see you guys after the holidays.